Welcome to another edition of Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast. This is Garrett Hawkins, and I am pleased to be joined uh, by a longtime colleague and friend, Caleb Jones, who serves as the CEO of the Association of Missouri Electric Cooperatives. Welcome, Caleb. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks for having me today. Well, this is gonna. I think this is going to be fun, you know. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've known you for almost oh, probably over 20 years now, so uh, let's hope we don't get too deep into the weeds on, on some of our history together. Mm-hmm. That's uh, why we have a producer here at uh, <laughs> Farm Bureau Studios <laughs> to, to help help us navigate this, Caleb. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm glad you at least sent a, a warning shot there. Uh, you're right. We have known each other for a long time. You're about three years in as CEO. Uh of the electric co-op. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you arrived at this point in your career. Sure. Uh, you know, like you, Garrett, grew up on a farm. Uh, I'm from Montauk County. Uh, grew up just outside California, Missouri. Graduated, went to the University of Missouri, got an agricultural economics degree, and and then uh, actually went out to Washington, D.C. and uh, worked out there for a little bit. Kind of felt, felt called to come back home. Came back. Um, Got my law degree, and then uh, shortly after that, got elected as state representative uh, in mid-Missouri. I did that for six years, uh, and then I went and worked for the governor of the state of Missouri, and then from there kind of transitioned over to to the co-ops. And uh, so that's kind of the elevator speech of of kind of my life. Uh, But obviously, you know, much much like a lot of my members and, and Farm Bureau members, you know, just a, a farm kid that's that's got one of the best jobs in his life. So if I if my memory is right, didn't uh, uh, were you uh, immediately succeed your father in serving as state rep? I did. Yeah. Yes, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was really neat. Uh, still, I think most people will tell you he did a better job than me, and he is uh, he is truly a much better person. Uh, awesome guy. Was sheriff for twenty years before yeah. he was state rep. Uh, and you know, just, uh, it, it was really great to try to try to follow in his footsteps and, and get some of the things accomplished, uh, oh, for the state. Kenny Jones is a top notch guy and you got to make sure he listens to this podcast. So I don't know if he knows how to get on a podcast, well, but we'll, it I'll, I'll figure it out and get it to him. All right. All right. So, so Caleb, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, new in our art. You're a few years ahead of me. Actually, you were the first CEO here in Mid-Missouri to reach out after I was elected by our members, and we grabbed lunch on my first week uh, on the job, which I will always remember and appreciate uh, uh, you giving me some introductory advice. But, you know, we talk a lot about just how much our organizations have in common. Uh, when you look at overlay the organizational maps, um, our members are your members. Your members are our members. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, co-ops serve uh, typically towns under 1,500 and all the rural areas. So about 75, 80% of the state is rural co-op service territory. Uh, we serve about 600,000 meters. We measure everything in meters, but, you know, to put that in, in layman's terms, probably 1.5 to 1.8 million people. Uh, but, the you know, our footprint is, is really kind of almost mirrors what the Farm Bureau footprint is, is rural America, rural Missouri, uh, you know, the folks in, in those small areas uh, and communities across the state. So I had the chance to attend your annual meeting. Our annual meeting is coming up first week in December. 
I really enjoyed seeing a lot of your co-op leaders and getting to, to visit with them and hear some of the discussion. What do you say, what's the mood within your organization? What are, what are the issues on people's minds? You know, uh, there's a few, uh, obviously. Uh, I think, you know, above all, um, our members, much like your members, want a place that their kids can come home to or their grandkids. And they want to make, much like all of us, want to make the place a little better for the next generation. And finding ways to do that, um, discussing opportunities, whether it's economic growth, whether it's it's getting the services they need with broadband uh, or other services out there. Those were, you know, the, the, that is becoming much more of a focus on sustaining rural Missouri life, um, not just for our generation, but for the next generation. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, last week we had the chance to to be in St. Louis or your team was present there for BioSTL's inaugural rural health symposium. And as I have interacted with BioSTL, you know, these issues that we talk about that affect quality of life really all boil down to opportunity to bring the next generation home, right? And and that's what we talk a lot about because it's hard to bring kids home to the farm if the community has died around it. And Absolutely. You know, I, I, I joke about this, but, you know, I spent the first 18 years of my life trying to get off the farm and the next 18 trying to get back. And, you know, just having those opportunities for our young folks, you know, your kids and my kids to come back home uh, is something we all have to be focused on. Absolutely. So so let's talk a little bit. You, you've mentioned a word that we talk a lot about around here, and that's and that's broadband. Oh, yeah. Um, you know. You're well aware that Farm Bureau approaches this issue from the standpoint that we represent the end user, right? So we're not uh, in the business of ultimately providing service, but we certainly care about the policies and the players at the table that ultimately will get that service to to people. So kind of handicap this issue in terms of where you see it. We see a lot of opportunity coming down the pike, a lot of federal dollars. Yeah. Uh, what's happening within your, your, within your world? Well, um, so – much like you guys, um, I think that if you ask any co-op across the state of Missouri, uh, if they could, would they get broadband to every one of their members? That the answer is yes. I mean, it, this is broadband internet access to, to reliable internet that you can actually use and utilize uh, for businesses, for personal use, for school, for whatever uh, medicine. Um, it's it is a it is something that. The demand is constantly increasing. Um, so as co-ops, we're doing everything we can to help our community, uh, to help our, our areas in rural Missouri grow and, and, and keep those families and those generations back home. Uh, the question is, how do, how do we do it? From a, Let's just talk about broadband. Uh, so right now, we've got about 16 of our 40 distribution co-ops across the state that are actually involved in the broadband business. Uh, these are actually they've they've set up uh, ISPs, internet service providers, and are actually providing broadband through uh, either the co-op or a subsidiary of the co-op to their membership. Okay. Uh, now, that's not forty out of forty, uh, and the reason is is it takes a lot of resources to get fiber internet or broadband any high speed internet mm-hmm. out to rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about some of uh, the areas that, that are out there, you know, just from a utility standpoint, we always talk about members per mile. 
mean, you've got co-ops that have one or two members per mile on average, and it costs anywhere from ten to thirty thousand dollars per mile to run fiber out there. And so, when you're looking at it from that standpoint, it's going to re- require some assistance to get that out there. Uh, obviously, no end user is going to pay a hundred thousand dollars so that they can have internet to their farm. Uh, nope. Uh, it's it, it's just not possible. And um, you know, much like electric was in the ni- late 1930s, uh, it's going to require the government to actually step up and help provide some of those resources. And and Garrett, you know, you you touched on a little earlier. We're starting to see that. Um, we're starting to see some some funding opportunities, some grants, uh, some loan programs that are out there, either through the USDA, the FCC. Uh, now with this infrastructure bill uh, that just got passed, uh, we're starting to see some opportunities out there uh, for either the local co-op to start providing that or uh, the local co-op to find a partner and help provide that out there. You know, for a lot of these co-ops, and I, I hear this a lot, is and actually I, I had the opportunity to sit down with, with your board and, and one of the first questions that came out of the gate was, why haven't you put broadband in at such and such county? And the answer is, first, from a co-op standpoint, we have, we're electric co-ops, so our first priority is providing reliable, affordable electricity to our membership because, above all, if they don't have that, they can't get anything else. I kind of view that as, as kind of the core uh, function. But um, for some co-ops with those one or two members per mile, they, it doesn't, they can't make the numbers work any, any possible way. And my hope uh, is that we're going to see some more federal support, some more state support. I actually talked to Tim Arbeiter today, uh, our state broadband director uh, through the Department of Economic Development, talked to him about some opportunities. Uh, I think we're starting to see government actually realize how important this is for rural Missouri and starting to take some of those first steps that I think are, are necessary to actually get that out there. So, from our aspect, it's kind of twofold. We've got some of our co-ops that are actually providing it out there, um, and then we've got others that are actually very supportive, doing anything possible that they can to help get that done, uh, whether, whether it's through a neighboring co-op or a partner with, with an Internet service provider. It seems like, Caleb, uh, that, that local involvement is, is key, right? Yeah. Your, your local board members our local members have to step up and raise their hand and say, we got to solve this problem, right? Yeah. I, you know, this is not one of those issues that we can, one person can fix. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it takes a, an enormous amount of resources, but also an enormous amount of people to try to implement something like this. And uh, obviously, you know, saying you want it is one thing, actually stepping up saying, what can we do? How do we get there? Working with, you know, one of the one of the really neat things that we're starting to see now is some of the county commissioners uh, have gotten some of the, the COVID relief funds, and they're actually using that to help kind of spearhead some of these projects to get these, these started off in some of the smaller areas. So really, really neat, but it's going to take the entire community coming together to actually get this done. I agree. I do. So what else came out of your annual meeting? I heard, I heard there was quite a panel discussion. You had colleagues from other surrounding states, uh, fellow CEOs, and there was some really interesting discussion. Yeah. Uh, so one one of the things that we did this this past year is we brought in uh, statewide CEOs from from 
five other states, uh, all just having a discussion about how each state's a little different or what they're doing alike. And and I thought it was a good opportunity. You know, the, the best compliment you can give somebody if they have an idea is to steal it, in my opinion. Uh, so, you know, I kind of used it as, a, as an opportunity to see what some of these other states are doing in terms of, of electric co-ops, but also what they're doing for their community, where, where, where are things that are working, where are things that aren't working. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the discussions that came up that was, that was really interesting was the polar vortex this past February. Um, you know, that was one of those uh, terrible, terrible situations where people's lives were lost uh, because they didn't have access to electricity. And uh, one of the things that, that I'm very, very proud of, uh, our electric co-ops were the only utility in the state that did not turn off anyone's electricity through this entire uh, ordeal. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it was really close at some point, um, but none of our members' lights were shut off uh, and it's it's something we're very proud of, and and really for us, um, you know, our our focus of affordable, reliable electricity uh, really really made us realize how important reliability is right now. And I think that's one of the discussions is, that is starting to take place across the country as we see these rolling blackouts. If you're looking at the state of California, or you know what happened in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, here in Missouri, um, I think. If we're not careful, we're going to see more of these instances happen, and it's something that that we have prioritized as reliability above all uh, for our membership, and that's just something that w- that we're not gonna we're not gonna waver on, we're not gonna question, we're gonna do everything in our power to make sure that those lights stay on whenever you come home and flip that switch. So let's run with that, okay? Because there's a lot there's a lot going on in the energy space, right? I mean, yes. It, it, I mean, it's hard to pick up a publication anymore. I mean, we could talk about supply chain disruption. We can talk about pipelines. There's a whole host, but uh, there's a lot of talk about transforming energy in the United States. And Caleb, it wasn't too long ago that we were energy independent, and that took a lot of years to, to get to the point that we could say we were energy independent as a country. So It did. So handicap here, I mean, we see – quote unquote, the Green New Deal being permeated in a lot of different avenues. So yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. So so let's talk about this because sure. ultimately, you know, again, we as farmers have to have reliability. The food system has to have reliability. Ultimately, American consumers have to have reliability. So where do you see this conversation going? So look, I, first and foremost, I think one of the things that think co-ops get a bad rap on is is that we aren't supportive of renewables uh and now let me be clear i'm not supportive of the green new deal but uh 25 of our electricity that we produce already is renewable uh we've got wind and hydro uh we've also got some community solar projects uh across the state and you know we have realized that having reliable electricity above all is important but equally as important is making sure that we have a good generation mix. And part of that mix is actually having coal and, and gas plants um, to provide that good solid base load. But uh, also into that mix is, is hydro, wind, and, and solar. I mean, this, this is one of those discussions that I don't think anybody is against renewables. And there a lot of times uh, we get painted in that, that light that we're anti 
anti-solar or anti-renewable, and that's just not the case. Um, and you know, I was surprised whenever I started with the co-ops. Twenty-five percent of our electricity is renewable, and and that's something that we're very proud of. Uh, and and hopefully that number grows. Uh, but at the end of the day, reliability is above all. And if we're not careful, um, you hear these groups that are pushing a Green New Deal or 100% renewable. And here's my fear, Garrett. What happens whenever the wind isn't blowing, blowing and the sun isn't shining? Well, everyone says, well, we'll just get batteries, right? Well, so far, we do not have the technology available to actually have the capacity via batteries to keep lights on uh, for more than five days. And there are days where the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining for five <laughs> days. Welcome to Missouri. Uh, and so, you know, as we start looking at some of these, this push towards um, a Green New Deal or, or 100% renewable or, you know, what whatever percentage is, um, we are very, very cautious to make sure that we don't put our reliability up for sale. That makes sense. I mean, I can say within Farm Bureau, we've always advocated for an all-of-the-above energy policy in terms of every piece of it has a mix. And, in fact, I've always looked forward to the day that any farmer and rancher, if you want to be involved in renewable energy production, hopefully there's a way to do it, right, whether it's biomass, wind, solar, you name it. Same time, we have to have reliability and affordability and, and there are a lot of questions out there right now. And, and if you think about it, I mean, Caleb, you, you know full well from the farm, uh, everything we touch is tied to energy, right? I mean, yeah, every, it is. That's Virtually everything we touch is tied to energy. And there is a lot of concern headed into 2022 right now in terms of where inputs are going to be. And, and then we hear these discussions and possibility of another pipeline being shuttered. Meanwhile, we're ask, asking OPEC to pump more. And you know where this is headed. I mean, our folks are, you know, there's a lot of concern out there. That well, I look, I, I think that um, we, are, we are on the cusp of actually losing something that we built uh, and spent a lot of time and effort on, and, and that's self-sustaining uh, energy and um, being able to not rely on other countries uh, to help provide us with whether it's oil or gas or, or electricity for that matter. Uh, and if we're not careful, it could all be, we, we all could be dealing with what we're dealing with right now for uh, Christmas packages, Christmas shopping, you know, everything that everything that my kids want this year apparently is sitting on some tanker ship outside off the coast of California right now. I don't know. Uh, but is uh, I guess the question I have for, you know, all of your members and my members is, is do we really want to put our electricity and energy uh, at the same level that our current supply chain is, is reliant on other countries to help provide that. Because the second that you do that, uh, realize that you're not in control of the situation anymore. Well, that's, that's an excellent point. Maybe you need to work with your kids. Caleb uh, Colton, my middle son, his birthday was last weekend. All he wanted was his own red Angus heifer. So I saw you got him one. We Well, he had to chip in his 4-H money from the last few <laughs> years that he had been saving. And I'm like, okay, that's a practical kid. Now, Tate's birthday is coming up, and all he's asking for, no toys, good thing, right? But he's just asking for things to make fire, which is a little concerning about where that may be heading. <laughs> but, you know. but I'm very proud that my kids are asking for practical gifts this year. 
in light of all these supply chain disruptions. Right? It's uh, I, you know, um, I I always say if you want to if you want a good employee, a good person, look to rural Missouri, look to rural America because they actually have the core values that you need. Um, you know, my son wants a BB gun. There you go. So you know, maybe he can go out and, and forage and hunt for for some food for us. Hopefully we don't have to. Well, Tate uh, can cook it. See, we you know what we may have we may have just solved the food supply chain. You know, Colton oh. Colton has the cows. My son can take care of butchering and and uh, take and cook it. So well, either that or our youngins are going to end up on a reality show one of these <laughs> days, <laughs> out in the outback or in the nether regions of Alaska, uh, living off the land, uh, which is great, which is great. It's the rural way of life. Uh, so, Caleb, we talked a little bit about just power and energy policy of course green new deal dovetails to all things climate and certainly climate is dominating everything when you think about this administration taking an all of government approach we've talked a lot about that through other podcasts um you know when i think back 10 12 years ago it was farm bureau and electric co-ops that really stood solid shoulder to shoulder when mandatory cap and trade was pending in congress and you fast forward now, and in many ways, uh, corporate America has has bought into and is in lockstep. Um, it, it's really an interesting time, and we're trying to figure out how we make sure that we're positioning. Uh, we deserve a seat at the table as farmers and ranchers, not because of who we are, but what we do. We are problem solvers and frontline conservationists. So how are your members uh, thinking about this whole issue of climate, given that it's permeating so many things in Washington D.C. Well, I, you know, the uh, the racy answer, the the one that makes everybody feel good about themselves is, you know, we've got to fix it, right? Everyone thinks that's the that's the easy answer. Um, you know, you talked about you talked about corporate America making that shift. So obviously, we we have to uh, have a lot of investment to build these power lines uh, across Missouri, and so a lot of times we're in we're in. New York dealing with bankers and and investments um, on our on our lines that that help finance those and the the discussion that's occurring is is very uh, interesting because whereas before they would you know look at actually look at our balance sheets and see uh, you know this is a member owned co op how are, you know how are their numbers looking from a from a budget standpoint and cash flow standpoint and, it, and now the discussion is. Um, What's your sustainable energy plan? What's your you know what percentage of renewables are you producing? And it, it, as much as it it scares me, but that that message is not only coming from Washington D.C., but it's coming from from those bankers and investment brokers out there too. Uh, so we're catching it not only from the government, but from the folks that actually help help our members who own the lines finance those, so that we can we can pay those off over time. So you know it's like a it's like a banker calling you up on your farm loan saying, hey, how many black black cows are you raising? How many Angus black Angus are you raising versus how many Holstein? Uh, I'd like to know. I, I think that's going to affect what kind of percentage rate I'm going to give you on this farm loan. That's pretty scary. It is. But that's what we're getting from an all-of-government approach. Right? It, I mean, Department of Treasury with their climate it is. action team. Uh, well, obviously, the I SEC think every department talking, now has a climate action team. Every so. Department. You know, it's 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 not just uh, Treasury. I mean, it's you know, all across the board, whether it's ag, energy, transportation. Um, this is something that that is certainly uh, a, a little scary, and uh, I think it, 
as much as as it would be easy just to complain about this, let, let's talk about some of the good things, Garrett. Um, we have organizations like Farm Bureau and organizations like the Rural Electric Co-ops uh, with membership that actually are engaged uh, that do things. And whether whether we like to admit it or not, we're going to have a seat at the table. We are the ones that are out there producing the food that these people need. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think they're going to have to have us at the table. Uh, as much as they posture, as much as they kind of push against us, I, I, I feel confident that uh, at the end of the day, we're going to have a voice in the room. Uh, but if we are not very active and vocal about that, it's very easy to be the uh, shirk, well, the shirking violet in the corner of the room. Uh, so having a strong voice, I think, is, is paramount in this discussion. Yes. Well, I appreciate that because that's exactly how we're positioning. I know you all have. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, we're gearing up for the next farm bill and hopefully we'll be able to interject from a common sense conservation standpoint. Again, let, let, let's talk about the things that we can't agree on. And, and our folks, we as farmers do a darn good job of putting practices on the ground that provide environmental benefits, not only for their farm, but for their communities and state overall. Overall, Missouri knows how to do conservation and do it well. Well, and, you know, I find a farmer that is out there saying, I just want to plant crops. I don't care what happens with my soil for the next 20 years. That's, I mean, that, that doesn't happen. No. Farmers, have been, farmers were and are the paramount of conservation because it is their livelihood. That dirt that they work every day is their livelihood. And, uh, you know, to, to question their integrity, uh, I think, is, is just a slap in the face for rural Missouri. Well, we got some work to do, but we're we going to continue. We're going to continue working on this one. So, what else you want to talk about? Is there anything else that oh, really surprised you coming out of your annual meeting? Um, you know, we're starting to have a little bit more discussion on uh, electric vehicles. Okay. Um, you know, with the infrastructure bill, obviously there's uh, quite a bit of funding there for uh, EVs. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it doesn't make sense uh, to have an electric vehicle, but we're starting to see some areas where it actually actually is uh, some good opportunities. Right now, we've got two uh, electric school buses up in uh, northeast Missouri. And if you think about it, an electric uh, school bus runs one route every day and just does it you know, morning and night. So it's, you pretty well have a set amount of, of miles. Uh, so this, this school up in Lewis County, they've got a, a school bus, uh, electric school bus, and it runs the route. They're they're tickled pink with it. It's it's one of those unique opportunities out there. But in addition to that, the here's the kind of long term ramification from having something like that. Uh, they can plug that school bus in during the summertime to their school. So whenever those air conditioners are running in the dead of July and they got to have the school cooled down, that they can actually tap into that school bus battery and shave some of the peak off of their energy load whenever the, everything's running at full bore. So it actually helps provide a long, steady load of electric rather than having these huge spikes. You know, whenever you, you get home from work, you turn the thermostat either up or down and, and, you know, fire up the oven, turn on the microwave, the TV. If you're like my family, every light in the house is on. I think in, even any spare lights they have on the house is on. Uh, so, you know, it helps some of these spikes that occur. And, and these spikes, these peaks, uh, are really some of the some of the times where we actually get into issues. Because if you think about it, 
we have to provide electricity for when everyone's lights are off and whenever they're on. So trying to find that range that we have to provide and, and still be have everything available when everybody has everything turned on is, is pretty tough. So I think there's some opportunities with uh, electric vehicles in the future. Um, you know, for me, I, I always tell everybody until I can find an electric truck that can run six or 700 miles a day, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. Garrett, I, you're the same way. We both travel a lot around rural Missouri. Uh, not a lot of not a lot of charging stations out there, but you know if you think about some of the other opportunities that are out there, I think there's some some real opportunities for places like an electric school bus to be put in and and help not only help uh, have a school bus available, but also help the school shave some of their costs off uh, of the peak for their energy load. Well, I learned something today. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, leave it to you to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I look forward to welcoming you to our annual meeting, uh, along with all of our members here. Uh, it's rapidly approaching once we get past Thanksgiving. Get through uh, Thanksgiving, and, and uh, I'll, I'll see you down at uh, Lake of the Ozarks. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I couldn't be more excited to, to be back with our members in person as we talk about uh, our theme of Planted with Purpose. Uh, certainly, the electric co-ops have long had a purpose in the service that you provide, and so have we as Farm Bureau. So look forward to, to celebrating that and celebrating all things when <laughs> we get to Margaritaville. <laughs> well, look, uh, you know, the, the partnership that the electric co-ops and Farm Bureau have had uh, is, is really, to me, it's a no-brainer. We have the same members. We, we represent rural America, rural Missouri. Uh, and uh, I'm just proud that, that we've got a great organization uh, like Farm Bureau, with with your leadership, uh, that we can work together on on some of these issues and help help both of our members be successful. Absolutely, cue the patriotic music. <laughs> well, this is this has been fun, Caleb. Thank you for joining us at Studio Farm Bureau here in our headquarters in Jefferson City. I love it. No, this is great. You know, I've I I was in fact I was told last week I've got a face for radio. I don't know if I've got a face for podcasting, but this has been really enjoyable and uh, hope to do it again. Well, it looks like you're ready to go out deer hunting, honestly. So. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody.